I know that amongst my friends, I celebrate Diwali and I think everyone looks forward to coming to our house, you know, to celebrate. And I know when I worked at the legislature, there was an issue about prayer in schools at the time. And so my dad actually came in and gave a Hindu prayer for the first time in the legislature. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for a God Squad episode where we seek to understand the experiences of people in minority faith communities as they navigate the broader, predominantly Christian culture around them. And we consider how to embrace our diversity inside the public institutions we share. This God Squad program included a panel of six who will introduce themselves in just a minute, including Rabbi Michael Shields of Temple Israel, who's the moderator for this program. And by the way, this event took place over Zoom and Facebook Live, and we had an audio issue with one of the panelists just in the very beginning. So we've cut Adil Atari's first answer, and then we circled back to him once he could be heard properly. All right, here's Rabbi Shields to introduce the program. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode, this conversation, really. If I didn't have two young children running around my house wreaking havoc, I'd invite you into my living room to share in this conversation on this Friday. And I am really just honored to have a wonderful panel with me today. And I actually thought I was going to introduce them, but you know what? It's nice to hear their voices as well. And so if everyone will introduce themselves briefly, and that way we can meet the folks out there from the Village Square community, and you can meet us just a little bit, and then we can share in some meaningful conversations. So, Stephanie, why don't you start off? Hi, I'm Stephanie Posner. I'm the Education and Music Director at Temple Israel. I'm Jewish, and I'm a mom of a 16-year-old, and I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you. And, and Harsha Hetel, please. Hi, I'm Hetel Desai, and, and I'll let my dad introduce himself. Good morning. Uh, I'm Harshad Desai. I have been Talasi resident for the last 50-plus years, and I represent Hindu faith. Retired professional engineer. Thank you. And being very humble, yeah, he was instrumental in, in founding the Hindu community here in Tallahassee. Hindu temple. Hindu temple. Yeah. Uh, Adil, please. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adil Atari. I'm a Tallahassee resident since 13 years now. I'm also, and I have two kids. Yeah, Betsy. Hi, I'm Betsy Willett Zierden. I am a United Methodist minister and 
have enjoyed many good conversations with some of those of you on the panel. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to those that I haven't met yet about interfaith things. Wonderful. And, and I'm, I'm Rabbi Michael Shields. I'm the, the rabbi at Temple Israel. I've been here about a year and a half. And I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old at home. And I'm just really honored to facilitate this conversation. And so off we go. And the conversation today is in part to consider what it might be like to be from maybe a minority religious tradition here in Tallahassee, the experiences we have in in the community and the fact that we all feel very much invested in Tallahassee. This is our city, our shared home, and and we love it. And so that's really kind of the starting point of togetherness. And then we can delve into some of the things, right? Not everything is, um, some things bring discomfort and tension and that's okay. And that's why we have these sacred conversations. And so I'll start out. Can I just make it? I want to make one point, though, because I think it's really interesting. I'm the only Christian on this panel. That in itself is pretty incredible and wonderful that finally we're having a God squad where I'm I'm the minority. So good work, Rabbi and Village Square. Well, yes, I had some great help in building out this wonderful, uh, the wisdom around this table. And so I'll start with one of our imperfect founding fathers or early, early founders, Thomas Jefferson, and a quote from him as a way of perhaps kicking off our conversation. Jefferson told us the following, the legitimate powers of government extend to such acts only as are injurious to others, but it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no God. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. If religion mandates picking pockets, breaking legs or discriminating against other citizens, it comes under the purview of secular law. No belief, no matter how fervent, and no law, no matter how slyly named, should change that. There is no religious right to infringe the rights of others. So the title of today's session in its full form is, What Happens When the Good News Club Isn't Good for Me or My Child? But gosh, who doesn't like free ice cream after a day at public school? Some notes of introduction and just orientation. This is from Wikipedia, but I checked to make sure no trolls or anything had gone in and changed it for nefarious purposes. The Good News Club, according to Wikipedia, is a weekly interdenominational Christian program for five to 12-year-old children featuring Bible lessons, songs, memory verses, and games. It's part of and a leading ministry of the Child Evangelism Fellowship, a conservative Christian evangelical organization which creates curriculum, translates different languages, and trains instructors how to use it. There are thousands, almost probably close to 10,000 Good News Clubs in the public schools across the United States. And in 2001, the Good News Club was the plaintiff in a Supreme Court case called Good News Club versus Milford Central School, which held that the club, the Good News Club, was entitled to the same access as other groups to meeting in the public school, um, similar to the Boy Scouts, because they provide after-school programs designed to promote moral and character development to Milford School's elementary children. Okay, so that's kind of the, some of the facts, basic facts about the Good News Club. And here are just some things from the critics, those who find some aspects of what's going on, the, the nature of it being in public schools. Um, critics of Good News Clubs have described the organization as pizza evangelists, proselytizing children 
through parties and other recreational events, focusing on very young kids in their first years of public schooling. So we're talking about these clubs in the context of public schools, by the way. They teach kids to go out and recruit other kids on the playground, some of the critics claim, to come to the club after school. They use tricks and gimmicks to lure kids into the club like food and prizes. So that is just some of the framing from kind of as neutral a description of CEF as I could find, and then also what some of the critics have said. So our first question, and it's not hypothetical, it's something that has happened, is happening, and will happen in the future. And it's happening in schools throughout Leon County. How, as people of faith, as parents, would you feel if at the end of the year, bags from your child's public school were donated by a specific church and included a flyer advertising and encouraging um, the Good News Club? And does that provoke any concerns for you as parents or thoughts on the First Amendment? So let's start there. I know it's a long question, but let's start there and I'll call on someone. But if someone wants to jump in, we'll start there. And then if not, I, I guess I'll wait the three seconds, educator three seconds and call on someone. Hi, Rabbi. Hi. Thanks for having us. I think having, my, when my parents came here to Tallahassee, they actually enrolled me in a Christian school, even though they're Hindus. And I can let my dad explain that. But I think their, their feeling was, is that I, that, that I would learn a little bit of moral background. And they actually took me out after the school started teaching intolerance, which, which was, I think, a deal breaker for them. But I'll let my dad explain what, why he made that decision and kind of how he felt about, about being a minority in Tallahassee with such a, a Christian following here. So when I moved in Tallahassee, uh, we had a good friends, Christian friends, and uh, his wife was a teacher in Tallahassee Christian School. And uh, his daughter was a very good friend of Hethel. So we thought it's a very good school. And she stayed there for a few years. And she got a very good fundamental basis. But once they start telling more about Christianity, I felt uncomfortable. So I moved her out. Mm. But at the same time, I had other two kids who were born. We put them to North Florida Christian to get a good basic understanding and basic education. So... I, I like that uh, aspect about uh, good teaching. And in India also, there's a lot of good Christian schools. And uh, I'm, based on Hindu philosophy, we believe in tolerance. At the same time, we don't believe in keeping the mouth shut. Yeah, but thank you. And I think the idea of context matters. And also, I think it's important not to brush, right? We are all just one person who has their own faith tradition. It doesn't, we don't speak for all Jews or all Hindus or all Muslims. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, diversity within Christianity as well. And, and so I think that's also very crucial in this conversation to realize that we are just kind of one voice with a perspective and, and there's great diversity there. So I think that just to make mention of that, but uh, Stephanie. So I have actually had something similar happen in my perspective on Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. And I, I do actually take issue with it. And it has been a difficult thing for our family initially. I came from an area and I grew up in an area that had a huge Jewish population. 
where, for example, schools, public schools were closed on Jewish holidays, the major Jewish holidays. They were also closed on Easter or Good Friday, rather. So there was a sense of equality in appreciation for people's values and religious respect. And when we moved here, my daughter went from going to a school that had probably a 40% Jewish population in a public school to her being one of four children in an elementary school. I loved that they were very open and very welcoming to her. But at the same time, I was always really a little nervous about how she would be treated by folks who were Christian. I didn't have much experience with the Christian community at that time. And so my daughter actually wound up being told she was going to go to hell by another child who was very involved in their own personal community. But I think there's a bigger issue here than just whether or not it's okay to send home these these programs to school. But I, I personally am of a, of a belief that I do not think any religious celebrations or activities should occur in a public school system. And that includes holiday concerts. But we can talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah. You, and, and, you know, Beth, you were sharing in that when we were getting to know each other as a panel that that you had this wonderful kind of backyard experience, like backyard ministry as a child, and that it was this really positive thing. And and I think that's also- well, I, I didn't quite finish the story. Well, it was positive-ish, or it was it, it helped shape. It was somewhere to go. I don't, but why, why don't you speak? Since you said it, you know exactly what you're going to say. So I, I have evolved as a person of faith and as a Christian, but I did have a really a, a significant conversion experience as a young mother, I mean, my, my daughters, they're twins. They were born when I was 25 and I was surrounded with evangelical Christians that kind of wanted, pulled me into a women's Bible study and pulled me into that evangelical world. I had been reared in the United Methodist church. And, and I guess you always, you always reject your family's faith at least sometimes, and then come back to your own. So what, what I want to just remind everybody, I think it's not news, but in Christianity, we have something called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. So when that's interpreted through certain lenses, that means in order to be a faithful Christian, you will invite people to Backyard Bible Club. You will share with your young classmate that you think that their soul is in danger. Now, that kind of theology, I have moved past. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to share that it, it's not sinister. It's naive. It's, it's not purposefully hurtful. It's a, it's a narrow view of their, their own faith that makes people want to evangelize and change, change you and change your faith. And I had a brother-in-law, my brother-in-law is Jewish. And actually it was my daughters when they were little, I don't remember this, but the girls remember this and Billy remembers this, that my daughters told their uncle Billy that he was going to hell. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a painful thing for me to know that something that I taught my kids had, had caused them to believe that about someone they loved. So I think this kind of outreach is harmful, not just to Jewish kids, Hindus kids, Muslim kids, but it can also be dangerous and hurtful to Christian kids that mean well, but maybe have not had um, 
exposure to different ways of being with people of other faiths. Can I can I jump in and just agree with Betsy there? I do agree. It is it is a place of of nativity for these kids and not just the Christian children that are involved in this situation for the Jewish kids as well. For example, you know, Hanukkah has become this big holiday, but truly it's 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 a rabbinic holiday. It's not really an important holiday, but I feel like in a sense to try and make it equal and give the Jewish kids something to have during this this Christmas season, they've made it into something that it isn't. And the kids then have this idea that Hanukkah is really important. And I know this about my own child when she was six, seven years old. Hanukkah was the thing because it was around the time of Christmas. But the truth is, is that Hanukkah is really not the greatest holiday traditionally, if you look at what it's about, it's about kind of right-wing extremism. um, So we've adapted and changed what we teach our kids. And I think there's levels that we can relate to our children about our faith, but that's something that has to be done within our own communities, I think. And I say this as somebody who, when I say being naive, I I was naive about certain Christian faiths. And now, sounds strange, but one of my best friends is an Episcopal priest, right? And I get a lot of holy experience in my relationship with her and in building community with her and her community. So understand I'm coming from a place that is, is very open to other faiths and traditions as well. Well, thank you so much. Well, and the other, I think one of the glaring things that happens here in America, certainly here in Tallahassee, is that even even though I am a seminary graduate and been involved in interfaith work for years, I still don't know that much about Hindu holidays and traditions or Muslim holidays and traditions. And, And so it's almost like if we are not intentional about sharing different faiths, at young ages, this is going to continue. Like I didn't, I didn't know about Diwali until I went to India. That's an example of something that I think we could really get behind all the light and the color. <laughs> if more of us knew about how to engage in supportive ways to help your faiths be strengthened. Well, I think I agree with, with both Stephanie and you, Betsy, that, that it doesn't come from a bad place this, these Bible clubs or Bible summer camps that, that kids get invited to. And I think that that, that's why my, my dad was also naive thinking, oh, we'll just send them to get the good part of it. And we'll teach them at home, our personal, you know, our traditions. But eventually one of the basic tenets I think of Christianity is to convert people, to get disciples, but also that they're, you either believe in Jesus Christ and are going to heaven or you don't. And it's just so black and white that 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 kind of pushed, and my dad can talk about this, pushed them to to say, you know what, we do need to build our own temple here. We need to have our own community. We can't rely on on other faiths to 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 help them. You know, in in, in my my temple, we started the Sunday school. But at the same time, we were taking the Sunday school our Hindu students to the church to let them expose to the church uh, what Jesus Christ means. Uh, we believe in equality, plus we believe more on humanity, 
and values. So values are more important than religion. And in a Hindu face, we have dharma, which is name, which is way of thinking, way of life, and way of thinking. So that is Hinduism, not, not any religious. So, and it accommodates all the religion. And we need to make sure that the kids are exposed to everybody, all religion, and then they can decide what is right for them. I think I would almost prefer that our children in elementary school be taught about each tradition in an academic way, as opposed to celebrations within the school system. Because I, I feel knowledge is great, but it is a family's choice to decide how their children are engaging in religious or philosophical activity. And listen, I, I went to a, a music school. So for me, I sang, I know Latin Christmas carols. I sing mass, like I have sung them. There's been a lot that I know on that end. And I never really thought that, wow, this is coming from an overwhelmingly Christian environment because it was classical music and I just, that's what I did. And then as a parent going to holiday concerts and hearing not just the sort of secular holiday season type music, but very serious Christian faith-based Christmas music at these concerts, I found it disturbing. I found it disturbing for myself as a Jewish person and my child for people of other faiths whose children, and I know where my child goes to school, there are plenty of Muslims and Hindus that are there. And I just found it, it wasn't appropriate. It's almost like, this is going to sound strange coming from a Jew, but putting the Christ back in Christmas. Christmas has its place in church with family and as a religious holiday. I understand the intent of wanting to share culture, but in this case, we, we go past sharing culture and we're actually sharing religious doctrine, right? I get it. You, you want to start a war for Christmas. I get it. I, I do. I do. Yeah, there you go. So, very good. Adil, now that you're, um, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of weigh in if it's your, your, it seems like you have a better connectivity now, if there's anything you'd like to share or say. Sorry for the uh, technology challenge, the joys of uh, everybody working and studying from home, I guess. Yeah, so so pretty much, I think team touched on great points there and uh, the fine line you need to walk uh, when it's first, you have to consider first the children' well-being, then second, the resource you are using for their education as public school. So I think I totally agree there, there should be there a compromise, if I have to uh, name it there, between the society that is known to be majority of a Christian faith. So you can't understand school is just part of the society and you can understand that during, and you should expect that during Christmas time, holidays times, let's say, uh, there, there will be festivities, there will be activities. I, it's, it's been to me personally a learning process uh, through the kids. They, they always celebrated or participated in celebrations, school celebrations, when it's around holidays. And the uh, same way we use it as leverage just to identify, to, to introduce them more to their religion. I have to add, uh, being Muslim, it's been, uh, in, in my tradition, a bit 
easy to if people ask or kids ask oh, well let me tell you about jesus in islam and 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 you can see their eyes light up so oh, we're not that different but i think definitely the 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 frame of public school is very important there is uh, we are trying to have you know future kids future americans know more about other traditions know be more receptive to differences and 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 i totally agree that there uh, should be some way where uh the schools are more open to other traditions and at least introduce the kids to the other traditions uh reflecting our diversity in the reward one of the things that you know i kind of reflect back on my high school and college days and i kept you know what a thought came to my head like why aren't all these Christians that are trying to convert me because they in my head as a high schooler and a college student, I, that's what I thought that all Christians were trying to convert me would, would try to convert me and, and I was like well they're not doing a very good job of it and then as I learned more during college and rabbinical school I realized well actually most Christians the overwhelming number of Christians denominations that's no longer part of the theology they prescribe to either dual covenant theology and say the, the covenant that Jews have is valid and so that's also something that we have to do, I think, in the Jewish community better is make sure our folks know that actually, no, most Christians have no desire to convert you. And, and that changes the dynamic of the relationship immediately. The challenge here is that this organization most definitely wants to convert you. And it, it, it's very aggressive about it. And so that's that's what I, I want to make the distinction. This is not your Presbyterian or Episcopalian group coming into a school, it's it's an aggressive group. Now, we could debate whether Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Hindus, Muslims, Jews should be going to schools at all, but the Supreme Court has kind of settled that for us. I mean, you know, we live in this country, that's the ruling, and we have to figure out, are there ways to still create boundaries? So I wanted to just, if it's all right, move along a little bit. One of the central pieces of the Supreme Court decisions the, the court in a 6-3, six, six of the members of the court said, we can see no logical difference in kind be, between the invocation of Christianity by the club and the invocation of teamwork, loyalty, or patriotism by other associations to provide a foundation for their lesson. So they're saying these are both equal and therefore have the same standing in that public school. And there's kind of a couple facets of this. The, the question I want to cue in on is, what kind of reception would, let's say, the following club receive in our public schools? Perhaps there's a club called the Even Better News Club, the Muslim Appreciation Society, or the Even Better News Club, the Hindu Appreciation Club, or the Atheist Appreciation Club. What kind of reception, how do you think that would go over in, in some of our public schools? I know it's not a very fair question, but it's one that's I can't get out of my head that if all of a sudden I paid to print bags with, you know, the whatever, the Atheist Appreciation Club on the side donated to the, to the school, because that was the argument that we, we, we didn't have money for it. Someone donated them. So that's the bags we used. But if I did that, or someone here did that, donated all the bags, put a flyer in for our Appreciation Club, how might that go over? We can also let the question hang because it, part of it is 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 a rhetorical question. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think it it, will, it wouldn't go over well, right? Partly is because some of the people that would be getting bags from the atheist club would be the very same ones that are holding the good news clubs, and they're so diametrically opposed. But 
the th- folks that are holding the good news clubs are in, in the Christian majority. So I would like to say that they would be welcomed, but I don't believe that would be true. I don't know if it would be true here, but I know that in New Jersey or up in New York, where they have very large populations of Hindus and Muslims and bigger, that those kind of clubs exist, that they have acknowledged, let's say, Diwali for, you know, a day off for Diwali in the the public school system. So, I mean, it, it may be that it's in the South that it's not, but I don't know if it's ever been tried here. I know that amongst my friends, I celebrate Diwali and I think everyone looks forward to coming to our house, you know, to celebrate. And I know when I worked at the legislature, there was an issue about prayer in schools at the time. And one of the conversations we had was the problem, practically speaking, is that it's not all religions. It's just the Christian prayer that is given every day. And so my dad actually came in and gave a Hindu prayer for the first time in the legislature to do that. But it took someone saying that they wanted it done. And I just don't know if if that's happened here or what would happen. We we assume that it wouldn't be welcome, but I don't, you know, until I, you try I, it. I believe it will be welcome if somebody approaches it. There is a listening ear. And most likely there won't be any listening ear. But we have to try. Put an effort and it may be succeed or it may not. But if you don't put the effort, if you don't ask for it, you're never going to get it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that was really, that was kind of my little like poke, poke the bear question a little bit. But I think it makes us think about perhaps this idea of privilege in general and kind of preferred status in general, because that First Amendment, there's not really supposed to be preferred status for any religion, right? Even though, yes, from a numbers perspective, there are more Christians than there are Jews in America. There are more Christians than there are Hindus. There are more Christians than there are Muslims. But actually the the constitution, we are not a pure democracy. There are certain values embedded in the constitution to protect minority traditions and to say there shouldn't be preference. And and you could point to George Washington's letter to the Jewish community in in Rhode Island and and other things as well. But what about this idea of, because the court case again said, well, there, there needs to be a permission slip, right? Parents have to sign off on their first grader so therefore, that's the protection, right? They're, it's perfectly, they're perfectly protected. There's no coercion involved because the parent has to sign a, a form to allow their child to go. So how does that sit well? Because the court did decide that that was enough to kind of dismiss the coercion argument. Parents, is, how does that sit with you? For me, the, the issue is already there as soon as the child sees the form, as soon as the parent sees the form and has to react. I would say that what if those same kids in my daughter's second grade classroom, where she's the only Jewish student probably in second grade, for example, and there are Hindu children and there are Catholic children and there are Muslim children, they all receive that that letter. But what if that letter was the Satanist group? How would any other faith take that letter? Not that I don't know that that group would even exist, but but just as an example, or the Wiccan group, right? What if that that came home? And, and I think the letter, when we talk about a Muslim appreciation group or a Hindu appreciation, I think the difference is that they're not appreciation groups. I think they are specifically to 
convert people to a faith. And for those of us who don't come from those backgrounds where there is a missionary activity, it's, it's jarring. So we get, we become scared, right? Especially if you're Jewish and your, your tradition for thousands of years have been, people have converted you and you've had to practice your religion in private. I, I would find, I don't care what faith group it is. I think it has no place in the school in that context. I just don't. Yeah, and just to let you know, the minority opinion written by Justice Souter said that there should be some distinction between elementary age school children and high school children in terms of, of that coercive like threshold or whatever it was. And, and just to point out, the three justices said there, there's a difference. And there's some other, I don't know, Supreme Court precedent well enough, but there are some other cases where the court kind of said that, that elementary age school, a first grader is different than a ninth grader or a tenth grader in terms of their ability to navigate that interclassroom interaction. Um, it, just give a little more con- context of the, the minority opinion in, in that case. Other thoughts before you kind of stimulate in a different direction or s- related direction, but all right. So I'll throw this out. Whoever wants to maybe take it. Um, we've talked a little bit about that kind of equal protection or equal access First Amendment pieces, but privilege. And, and recently, but really, I think for a long time, there's been calls for civility and respecting differences. And on the face of it, all of that is wonderful. I think we should respect differences and honor particularity in people's religious tradition, cultural traditions, et cetera. But do you think perhaps that, you know, how do you process kind of maybe avid supporters of something like the Good News Club calling for civility and respecting differences in light of the conversation today? And and pair that with a question, do you think that calls for civility, and we can think of this specifically in, within religious tradition, but also it's a good question in American society in general. Do you think that calls for civility are perceived differently by different groups in American society and the American religious community? And so does some aspect of religious or Christian privilege factor into the equation? And, and so I, I know I put a couple of caveats and facets to that question, but any thoughts on, on that? Your question, I hesitate to answer what I'm feeling, but I think that we saw in this last election, even in the ways that some people supported the current president, in their mind, democracy and America was tightly connected to Donald Trump, who they saw as a religious leader of, or, or as sent by God. So that's a, an example of when a particularity perhaps becomes something that's beyond a particularity. Kind of similar to what Stephanie was saying earlier. I mean, it's just so pervasive. It's everywhere. It's like, it's hard to keep, I'm feeling very like the minority now because I am in the majority actually. And what I mean by that is, I don't know how how the rest of you do it so graciously and lovingly. And I, even today, I was in a group with Rabbi Shields and Stephanie and the prayers that are offered by are almost always Christian. And it's just, I would like us to be more respectful and civil, but what I see is so uncivil, but it's uncivil even in ways that are just blind. You know what I mean? Like the, the person who offered the prayer today, he had no, he was a lovely man. We love him. Completely clueless that all of the times that every prayer out of your mouth is from your tradition when there's other people in the room and it's supposed to be interfaith. I don't know how y'all put up with it, honestly. 
And also the idea of power, by the way, is, is something I bring up as well, right? I mean, there's, at least in my view, there's power differential, right? And, and power goes right with privilege. And, and there's a great, there's a great video, all of PG-13 or R from, from Noah Trevor from a couple of years ago, talking about how the, those with power, it's like the people who own all the hotels in Monopoly. And they're just saying, oh, come on, can't we all just get along and play nice and finish this game? Come on, we can't all get along and they own, you know, Boardwalk Park Place, all the properties and there. And they, you know, the rest of us are wanting to flip the board over, right? And so for me, at least, that's that's where some of the impetus for that question came. Other thoughts on, on that idea of, and then maybe could the calls for civility and for respecting differences, not that those are bad on the face, but could those calls in the way that they're being made perhaps actually have a counterproductive effect on authentic and meaningful conversation that moves us forward? I think that calling for civility and appreciation of of differences, it's sort of making the assumption that it's okay that this evangelical Christian children's group is focused in the public school system is okay because we should appreciate each other's differences. Let me tell you, as a parent whose child has grown up in Tallahassee, involved with the Jewish community, what I've seen happen, and and Betsy asked, you know, how do you handle that kind of situation? What I've seen is my child direct her interaction with people who are also different, who are also not of the norm. Now, yes, she has friends that are are Christian for sure. Adil will tell you, my daughter and and Omar have been friends since sixth grade. They got each other the pre-IP program along with another friend who's half Muslim and half Baptist. But they, they tend to sort of gravitate towards each other to create a smaller, like a, maybe a larger group of minority faith tradition. And folks of color as well, I would say. So I think that's how, that's how they survive, right? So they find the other people that are different, that are not Christian, that are not white, and they, they gather together and they form their own community. Yeah, Arthur, how any anything to add? I want to make sure we all. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I mean, this is 30 years ago, but I had the same experience when I was, I think, in middle school, sixth grade, I met uh, one of the fleets um, who became my very good friend and Shannon Novi's family, and they basically took me in. And I think the reason why our relationships were so strong is that we both came from a place that was not Christian was alternative, but it was very, we had great conversations about faith and race and uh, politics, but they basically took me in. And at the time, there were not a lot of Hindu families. There was not a, a Sunday school for Hindus. And we we had, a, you know, a friend that was Chinese and we ended up being this little group of misfits and we're still friends today, all of us. So I, you know, I, I appreciated that. I think we gravitated toward that. I, I don't know if my dad has any yeah. comments about my friendships, but. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, the way I would like to put that, as long as you trust your kids and train them and provide them the nurturing environment, they, they're going to think right. And even though I had a lot of conflict in my own resolution, 
we had to do that when uh, she was growing up. But when my youngest son, uh, when, when he was growing up, he had more exposure to the Hindu culture and he was playing uh, with his Christian friends and Jewish friends and everybody else. So he's well liked. He has as many Indian friends, Hindu friends, uh, more than uh, Christian friends. So again, bringing the community together, making them aware of each other's differences, but at least tell them how they can uh, withstand the pressure, peer pressure. I'll take this as an opportunity to extend an invitation because there's something called the Capital Area Ministries, the call we had right before this, that's seeking to uh, not take on the issues that might divide, but take on like justice issues that unify and find in the capital area, Tallahassee area here, the one, two, three issues that really we can all get behind. And I think the voice of that group will be so much stronger as it gains more faith communities and diversity. And so um, I wanted to let uh, you know, Adil and Harshan Hedl, that that group exists. And I think it, it is critical that uh, we're all on there because the city council, everyone will listen to that group when it's really representative. So I just wanted to throw a plug in there for the Capital Area Justice Ministry. And one last question, you can go back if you'd like, and then there are some questions from the, the folks out there. And this kind of came from a, a prompt from the, the Village Square website, and, and it was an interesting question, and I thought, why not throw it out there? Um, do you think that there is common cause between parents taking a pass on the Good News Club and those who say, no thank you to instruction on evolution and sex ed instead. And then a follow-up was, do you think we can welcome and embrace that diversity in our public institutions, right? So is there actually common cause? Do we have to find, right? Do we always have to find common cause, I would say? Is there common cause between parents taking a pass on the Good News Club and those who say no thank you to instruction in public schools on evolution and sex ed? Anyone want to take that softball? <laughs> I'll jump in and just say, I think there is a difference. Evolution and sex ed involve science and facts. And we can get have a whole other you know, panel discussion about fake news and, and what is a fact. And, and, but I think that the Good News Club is about ethics, religion, and opinion, whereas evolution and, and sex ed are, are not. They're, they're something that have been taught and you teach taught science in school. That's one of one of the things that that children learn. It would be like if we tried to inform, make Sunday schools teach science classes, or you know, the reverse. I I, I don't think it's the same. I would agree, and I, I think especially with regards to certain health factors, you know, it is a public health choice to teach sex ed. You know, it's important for our our kids to know how their bodies work and things to look out for and, and things to be conscious of. Yeah, Adil, anything to add here, Betsy? To uh, loop in the uh, commonalities with parents that choose that their kids might be exposed to things. I, I personally took for facts, but I, as I said, like it's a, towards a learning journey when I myself learned to respect that there are especially in the American context. And uh, I think somebody was saying also in this context of the South as well. Actually, I think that the idea it's not totally to be excluded. I was not given a choice as a child that, you know, whether to study evolution or not, 
or you know sex ads to some extent. But I can see where we're especially uh, now that, as I said, exposed to many backgrounds. Even uh, if I can talk about the Muslim community, there there are people in my community that would think that's something really that needs to be considered. Why their children are thought somewhat what we took as a given. We took evolution as a given. We took sex ed, but you know th- that. That idea is not really far off, and, and it's, uh, it's it's pretty interesting, and, and, and touches on the civility issue. So how 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 can you engage uh, these parents, these educators, in, in a civil way to help them one way or another? Do we want to put boundaries on those subjects, and or at least give awareness to parents that we teach in your kids such and such kind of thing? Uh, pretty tight rope there to walk, but. Uh, as I said, I learned uh, to appreciate that and to the general idea that parents need to be aware what their kids are thought at school, I think, is, is the point. Yeah, thank you. And, and there's a couple of questions from panelists, and I think some of them will dovetail with, uh, I'm hoping Betsy will jump in. Do the panelists find secular holiday music offensive? I.e., winter one, let it snow, let it snow, frosty the snowman. I'll say no because it's mostly written by Jewish people. Uh, no, um, but, <laughs> no, but no, I don't think that's the crux of the issue. I think it's more about. I mean, in my high school, we did a major work, which was a requiem, right? Like we did a, so we did like Mozart's requiem and Puccini, and 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 for me, that was more of a musical education, not necessarily religious, but it was very religious in nature. So that was an interesting question. I believe that knowledge is incredibly valuable to all and an academically based basic curriculum on world religions would be beneficial to all young students in understanding the world and the people around them in a better way. Does the panel have any thoughts on why the public school systems of America do not offer this? That's the controversial part, maybe. So anybody want to, I mean, is there a resounding, I mean, yes, from everybody that probably would be good if our kids get that education? It would. I'd like to, I'd like to see that. Thumbs up. Yeah, I think I, I don't think there's much. Um, if you disagree, I don't know. But uh, world religion curriculum may be a good idea as long as it does not try to convert anybody. Yeah, and that's where I think the controversy comes up. What does it look like that curriculum, and who who gets to decide, right? And, and that, that's a challenge. Yeah, education versus celebration and active participation. Yeah, in Hindu philosophy, we never. Uh, have uh, any education about the Hindu philosophy in India. We all learn our, from the family and we learn from our parents basically what Hinduism is. Hinduism is just a way of thinking, way of life and way of, way of uh, worship. Everything is done at home. It's not taught in any schools. There's a question here which I think is asked and answered. Would panelists be opposed to values education if the curriculum included values shared across religious groups, such as treat others as we wish to be treated or walk in peace with your neighbor? I mean, probably in theory, no, right? We, we'd all say that's wonderful. That's what schools should be doing anyway, right? That's what they teach them in kindergarten all the way through. But again, for me at least, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, So, but it's how is that brought forward? I, I actually think... There are certain basic tenets of humanity that you're talking about there. And there are atheists and Wiccans um, who also have similar belief system. And, and I don't think that has to be a religious conversation. I think an education on, on world religions is, is important. But the, the sheer concept of civility and respect for others 
can be taught no matter what religion you are. Yeah. But I do think that a certain amount of that should be taught at home as well. <laughs> Perhaps more of it should be. And I, I was struck when I was talking with a colleague about this, actually a rabbi who's also black, and they said, well, you know, there was lots of calls for civility, you know, when Martin Luther King, and this is what Trevor Noah picks up, was marching in the South. There's calls for civility saying, you know, who are you to, you know, create racism where there's not. So, all right. So I think we had a question from a live participant. Uh, let's see. Isn't there value in addressing and teaching this issue of Good News Club to our children rather than try to protect them? Undoubtedly, we will continue to be the minority and they will encounter these issues and challenges throughout their lives. What kind of tools can we use to equip them? Great question, right? Because no matter what we do, we're never going to be able to shield our children from everything. And at some point, maybe they need to learn how to, to run. But what, what are your thoughts? I mean, is is the value, where should we put the emphasis on protecting our children or equipping them to answer it? Or is it a false choice? I don't know. What do you think? I would love to see more conversations like we're having among adults that will help facilitate those conversations with children. So as I shared earlier, even though I have been engaged in interfaith dialogue, in the end, we kind of stay siloed up as people of faith and racially as well. And my heartfelt desire is that we would see more interaction. So maybe we need to do this again around a dinner table when it's safe to do that. I would love to come or invite you to my homes. Yeah, and I don't know if we have that question there, but we're right at time here. And I, I saw something interesting. It sounds as if it's uncivil to indicate in a prayer that one is Christian, is the panel saying, and panelists individually saying it's uncivil to mention the name of Jesus. This is a great question, because this is actually something where I probably have changed my tune a little bit where I said, why does every city council meeting, I, I don't know if people should be giving credit to city council meetings for other reasons, but it's happening. But should we universalize everything? Or is there a model for a Christian or a Jew, but a Christian offering a prayer that is inviting? And, and I worked at Davidson College as an associate chaplain, the head chaplain there, it's a Presbyterian affiliated uh, related college. His prayers, and maybe this is a way to end today, he would start, he would offer his prayer, gracious creator, da, 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 and he would say, I pray this in the name of Jesus with a humble recognition that people connect to God and to the world through many different prisons. I mean, a beautiful way of saying it. So he was honoring his particularity and saying, yes, I have my own personal and even communal relationship with Jesus, but man, I feel blessed and honor and recognize that people connect to the world through other faith traditions. And by the way, and this is a pet peeve of mine too, is that, that people who don't claim a faith tradition too often, I think in these interfaith things, we speak only of people who have a faith tradition that can care about justice, that can speak to that, can, can march with us. In fact, we're leaving out 60% of the population to be allies in pursuing justice. And so I would say the Presbyterian model that I loved and found was so beautiful. And so I'll end with that. I pray, and I can't just say one name because in the Hebrew Bible, there's 18, 19 different names for God. But I pray through my prison, my soul. One of my teachers said, my soul, the language of my soul is Judaism. And I pray through that language. I believe I live my best life 
through that language. But I have humble recognition that my good friend from Davidson Episcopal priest, that he lives his best language through that tradition. And I honor that. And he brings light into the world through his tradition in that way. I don't think he could do it if he was Jewish. Beautiful. So I really offer that as words of, of unity and gathering and, and peace to everyone here. And thank you. I, there's so much more we could talk about. An hour and four minutes is not enough. Um, but thank you all of the folks who joined us online. Thank you to the Village Square. And I think there's a message from a Village Square uh, member of the Lord uh, for all of us. Yeah, thank you, Rabbi Shield. Yeah, so I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm the board chair. Really uh, thank each of you as panelists for your time and investment in uh, this important conversation. Uh, obviously, we have some regular God Squad panelists here and regular attendees of God Squad that know the value of uh, what God Squad does. Some of you are members of Village Square. We really appreciate that. Your membership supports God Squad programming all throughout the year. And some of you may have just kind of uh, tuned in um, because of these events are happening virtually now. And so you're able to join and we appreciate that. And hopefully you've gotten, I think today, a really good taste of what the Village Square does. I think we look around us, we see a lot of division and you see here at the Village Square programs like God Squad doing the work of building bridges and not to, and I think Rabbi, the way you ended was was good. And I had a, at our members only event last night, I kind of ended talking about are now out of e pluribus unum, right? Out of many one, in that we are kind of called to something larger than, himself, than ourselves and to a community, but that doesn't mean that we erase ourselves in the process. And I think this conversation uh, highlights that, and that's uh, what we're about at the Village Square. Uh, and we oftentimes do that with controversial topics, right? It's religion, it's politics, it's, you know, all kinds of things that could be controversial, but and engaging in kind of the deep work of democracy by having these types of discussions and sometimes disagreements. So wanted to thank all of those of you who are members and those of you that aren't encourage you to join. It's $76 a year. That, that is an homage to 1776. And you can support the work and join alongside of us in the work that we're doing here to build bridges across numerous divides uh, here in Tallahassee and around the country. So thank you for your time and thank uh, each of you panelists as well. All right. Go in peace, everyone. Thank you. This was wonderful. I hope I get to see your faces again, especially those I just met. Harshad and Hedl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Stay safe, everyone. So good to see you all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Good job, Michael. Hi again. It's Vanessa here, your podcast host. I hope you enjoyed this God Squad episode. I thought this was a very interesting program. It certainly made me think about other people's experiences in a new way. For me personally, I'm not associated with any particular religion, but you know, I do love the holidays, mostly because I highly value family and connection and events where we come together with people we love. So for me, during my life, I've kind of just been fine with whatever the holidays mean to other people, and I've just sort of enjoyed and appreciated the things that come along with it. But now, after hearing from today's panelists, I've been contemplating how these more Christian aspects of our society feel to people who have life experiences and beliefs that they're trying to honor and keep space for in this busy world. And the parental piece of that is certainly on my mind a lot as a mother, how non-Christian children often feel like the other. I sort of intellectually knew that. 
but it somehow makes it more real and impactful to hear about specific experiences directly from people in the minority faith groups. As usual, this is another program that has helped me grow in my understanding of other people, and for that, I'm extremely thankful. And I'd like to especially thank today's panelists for being willing to be vulnerable as they share these important thoughts with us. If you know someone like me who could grow from conversations like this, please let them know about Village Squarecast. We'll be back in two weeks with one of our favorite throwback programs, and then we continue into the new year with an exciting season of new programming. To see all our episodes when they come out, please subscribe to Village Squarecast in your favorite podcast app or on our website at tlh.villagesquare.us slash squarecast. That's also where you can find the show notes page for this episode. To see all that's happening with the Village Square, including our new season of programming, subscribe to our newsletter at tlh.villagesquare.us. We'd be so grateful if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening to this God Squad program. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.